We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to another episode of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. It is Monday, October 10th. Happy birthday to Michael Carter-Williams. Finally, the day is here. We've been counting down uh, from 364, 360, 365, I guess. 366? I don't, I don't really do the leap year thing. Uh, that seems to be pretty, pretty arbitrary as far as when that pops up. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to try to avoid that. It's just too much confusion. But anyway... <laughs> At any rate, happy birthday to MCW. Uh, I had a chance to see Carter Williams live this weekend. Um, the world-famous Milwaukee Bucks were in town in Madison playing a preseason game against the Mavericks. Uh, you, got out of, you got out of town this weekend, so you were not there. Uh, but, you know, Rotowire had a nice, nice contingent at the game. Uh, took advantage of the free lasagna in the media room. It was spectacular. Um, and breadsticks as well. I gotta say, I mean, I, I've been in the media room at the Cole Center quite a bit, not not for Bucks games, but for Wisconsin Badger games, and they never had lasagna when I was there. Do they have anything? 
You know, what's funny is like back in the day, you know, four or five years ago, before they made it to those back-to-back Final Fours, they had nothing, even for the big games. And then when national media started to show up, whoa, here comes the food. We can't Mm -hmm. go without food if there's a national media member around. So the food has gotten progressively better over the last three years. That's for sure. Yeah, I've I've spent more time in the Bradley Center media room, and it's it's quite a spread there. And I think you know, being a preseason game, they probably they don't go all out at least uh, you know at the Cole Center. But it was phenomenal lasagna. Uh, if the the chef who happened to be cooking that up is listening, uh, thank you so much. Um, but anyway, on the pod today, um, as we kind of just continue this this grab bag, I guess uh, preseason topics. We don't want to just go game to game, uh, you know, look at box scores, especially preseason box scores. Like it's boring enough to do that during the regular season. I would imagine as a listener, it's borderline unbearable when we're breaking down preseason box scores. So in lieu of that, um, we wanted to do our superlatives for the season. And some of this is, you know, kind of off the cuff, uh, basically some some extremely arbitrary categories. Um, but we, we kind of wanted to do it as a, you know, a yearbook type of exercise, you know, a like uh, I don't even know how to describe this exactly, but for example, we'll start with the player you'd want to start a franchise most. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Carl uh, Anthony Towns, and I think that's the chalk play here, yes. right? And and we're not talking about you know like sophomore players, rookie players. We're talking about the whole NBA. So yes. I'm picking Carl Anthony Towns over Steph Curry, over Kevin Durant, over LeBron James. Granted, those guys are great, but I'm gonna get okay. way more for my money with Carl right. Anthony Towns. And, and you're assuming you know you're not. To, this isn't just a one year thing. Like if you're playing 2K, this is franchise mode, not season mode. Yeah, um, I'm locked in for the long haul. Right. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, I mean, does your answer change if you're picking one player just for the season? I would think it would. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna go with Curry or Durant or LeBron, right. one of those three, and it's yeah. not gonna be, it's not gonna change at all. One of those three for sure. But we're mm-hmm. talking about for the duration of the rest of their career. Carl uh, Anthony Towns could play 12 more seasons. LeBron could play six. Of course, yeah. that seven years is gonna far outweigh anything LeBron can do over the next six years. It's just, it's just how we view this particular question. Right, and I, I like you said, the Towns is the chalkiest uh, play here. I, th- I think by you know by a good margin. I, I wanted to come up with someone else. It's just Anthony, it's really hard to make a coherent argument for anyone else. Anthony Davis was the answer to this question for yeah. like three of the last four years or something like that. You Probably know, the last three. Midway through his rookie season, he yeah. started becoming the answer. But who? I mean, who would be two and three for you? Yeah, that's I, a good I, question. Kawhi's I, up there, right? Yeah, I think Curry's probably still up there. He's not that old. I mean, what is he? Twenty eight. 27? He's 28 years 28. old. I, I don't think he's that far up there because you have Carl. I mean, he's like 20. He's 20 years old. Yeah. So, but I mean, if you're, I mean, it depends where you're going with this franchise. And there's a lot of Do you want to win in the next three years? Do you want to win in five years? Like, there's an argument to be made for Curry. Uh, I think there's an argument for Kawhi. There's an argument for Durant still. I think you you want to say you want to win the most championships over the next okay. 20 years, and so whatever that so it's, means. It's Towns. LeBron. Yeah. Towns it's, it's is the Towns. answer. I mean, right. I. You could you could sell me on Porzingis, I guess, but I think there's still a pretty major gap between Towns and Porzingis. Uh, Blake Griffin, uh, I could be talked into Harden, um, but I think ideally you'd want someone who's a better two way player than Harden. If you're just you know if you're starting a franchise with that one guy, somebody who could win the MVP this year that we're not even talking about, Russell Westbrook, not the type of player that you think about when you say you want to start with him mm-hmm. and then work out from your franchise. As a result, since that's you know it's a no brainer to us to not even really mention him is one of the many reasons why I think the Thunder are going to struggle this year. And yeah. it's not you know it's not an ideal team, even though he is a major major superstar. His style of game does not lend himself mm-hmm. towards 
putting the team on his back and taking yeah. it to the Yeah, I mean, he's lane. a guy, too, that, you know, is in probably in the midst of his prime as opposed to, you know, nearing his prime or entering his prime. So that, that certainly has something to do with it as well. Um, well, you just mentioned Westbrook. Who's the number one point guard, the best point guard in all of the NBA? I'm going to go with Chris Paul. I think he's solid. The the best thing, in ter- if we're talking about point guards, I- I'm talking Chris Paul because if he wants to, he can go out there and create his own shot, get a shot. At the same time, he's equally as dangerous for creating anybody else's shot on the court at the same time. So that's why I'm going to go with best point guard, Chris Paul. I can be persuaded by the guy that you're about to mention, though. Right, Curry. Um, I think you know there's a case to be made for Westbrook as well. Uh, I mean, the thing about Curry is until it seemed like, I guess, probably two years ago, he was a point guard, but he played almost like a shooting guard, you know, in the way that he was used. But I think when the more that they've kind of unleashed him and, and that happened again under Steve Kerr, um, I think we, you know, nobody really maybe realized how great of a passer he is or how like, unbelievable of a ball handler he was. You know, those things were always there, but they weren't on display nearly as much as they were, you know, when he was kind of handed the keys to this team a couple of years ago. And, you know, I think you can certainly sell me on Chris Paul. He's a better defender. Uh, I think he is the better kind of half-court point guard, if that makes sense. You know, if you, if you need a point guard to to kind of assess a defense and, and run a set and, and make sure everything is working as it should, Chris Paul's your guy for that. But the advantage that Curry holds as a shooter, and Chris Paul's a very good shooter, a very good three-point shooter, a very good shooter off the dribble. He can create his own shot, but Curry is so, so good at that. Uh, that it kind of brings him to another level for me. I think they're comparable around the rim. Curry's probably a little bit, you know, he's able to snake his way to the rim a little bit better. Chris Paul's a little bit stronger. Um, and, and the gap between, you know, rebounding, I think both players rebound well for their position. Um, and the gap in passing to me isn't really all that big. Yeah, I agree. You know, what's funny is that Curry's ankles and Monte Ellis probably is what prevented right. us not realizing he was such a good passer because yeah. he was working I mean, in that two-point guard system. Right. I mean, there were always flashes of it. There's If you go back and look at you know tape from his rookie or, or sophomore year, there's you can see, you know, it, it, for me, it's not like a, a volume assist thing necessarily. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of players that can pile up assists. Um, but it's just, you know, it's kind of almost not fancy passes, but they're just passes that Curry makes that other players just don't attempt. And, and to me, you know, whether, whether that turns into an assist or not, it, it just kind of shows that you have that, that extra gear or, or kind of extra dimension to your vision. And I think Paul, Paul has the same thing. Yeah. Last thing I would say, and, and why I went with Paul is just, I think he's more durable in the playoff format. And I think we've kind of saw a little bit of that last year that, you know, when it really comes down to it and you want to win a game against a team that has Curry on it, you have to find a way to rough him up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think I mean, Paul, Paul can withstand that a little more than Curry can. Didn't, I mean, didn't he get knocked out of the playoffs with an injury though? And he had well, the hamstring two years ago. I mean, I mean, I don't feel th- like roughing somebody up and, and going after their hamstring. It's more like, you know, right. body, well, yeah, body Paul's had kind of freak, down, yeah. freakier injuries, I guess. Um, yeah, that, that's a good way to put it as well. I mean, you, you're not really going to f- find many arguments against Chris Paul there. Uh, let, let's switch gears a little bit. I, I think we have the same answer for this one. Who's the worst starter, or at least now projected starter, uh, in the NBA this season? It's not even close for me. And granted, you know, some things are going to change between right. now and the start I'm still of the not 100% sold that this guy is going to be the starter, but we'll see. Well, because we unanimous, unanimously right. picked him, we hope not for no. the sake of this team. And it's Rashad Vaughn. He's coming into a sophomore season <laughs> Congratulations, with Congratulations, Rashad Vaughn. Uh, yeah, I mean, you are the worst start, starter in the eyes of me and Nick Whalen. And so I don't think it's even really close because he was coming off the bench in limited minutes. Nick, you can t- attest to this better than I can. 
at no point did anybody in the on the court in the arena feel that his his three pointer was going to go in. That's exactly what this team needs, and he just can't give it to him, them. Defense is not great at all. I think by a wide margin, he will be the worst starter in the league if he does start out the year starting. And I'm having trouble even picking a second one that compares in the same realm that he does. I, I just can't even really pick somebody because it comes down to somebody like a Derek Williams in Miami. And I say, you know what? Like at least he's steady, and you know you're going to get some defense from him. I love and he's, Derek Williams, man. Yeah, he's. Been, I mean, he's a veteran in the league. Like not only is Vaughn not proven that he's not a good player, but he hasn't been in the league enough, and he just. There's not anything to really like there. No, no, there's not. Uh, he put together the fifth worst rookie PER ever, um, the worst PER from a rookie um, that's played at least 50 games in a season since 1984-85. Um, so congratulations to the great Ron Cavanaugh, who no longer is the, the holder of that record. Uh, 4.2 PER for Rashad Vaughn last season. Negative 0.8 win shares, which... You know, doesn't seem like all that much, but that's that's a lot for a guy who didn't play that many minutes, barely got over a thousand. Um, rough. That said, if you look at this list, and shout out to Basketball Reference for making looking things like like this up very easy. Gary Harris is also on this list. Four point nine per as a rookie, negative point seven win shares, shot thirty five percent effective field goal percentage, which is actually worse than Rashad Vaughn. So there is, I guess, if you you kind of have to grasp at straws a little bit to, to look at something like this but there is a precedent for for a player drafted maybe right around that same spot I think Harris was 17 or 18 um you know kind of turning it around in year two do I think that's going to happen with Rashad Vaughn no probably not but you know I think people who watch Gary Harris closely after year one probably had similar feelings Harris was drafted 19th so yeah 19th. in that same range um <laughs> It's tough because I think Harris is gonna, you know, like more solid defensively, and right. maybe that doesn't show. I, up I don't think it's a great comparison, but yeah, there is just you know, there's somewhat of a precedent for for guys right. turning horrendous seasons into decent, you know, promising young careers. Yeah, the only thing I would say is it's tough because you have Giannis playing point guard, and then you have Delhi slotted into shooting guard that pushes. Vaughn down to small forward. Now, ideally, you'd have Giannis guarding the opposing small forward, but it gets really complicated when you're switching in transition defense. No, I mean, I don't think that'll be that big of an issue. I mean, transition defense is just kind of, you know, dependent, I guess, on where you are at the time. Like, that's a problem for every team in the NBA. But I think, I mean, Giannis is going to handle the ball, but he's going to be defending threes and fours. Right, okay, so not, yeah, not transition defense because you just kind of, like, get the guy closest to you. But, like, if an up-tempo team like Houston... You know, like I, you just don't have time to you know switch. Right. It it only makes sense when you're guarding the guy who's guarding you on the opposite end, and so I think that could cause some trouble. I mean, I don't think it's something that teams typically like to do, um, guard somebody else that's guarding you. It just doesn't make much sense given how fast and how quick these guys in the NBA can tend. I mean, can just jump on that real quick yeah. within a first couple seconds of crossing the half court line. I think so. Yeah, I mean that that is true, but I, I think there are also you know teams that that have those defensive defensive specialist type of players. You know. Are you know, you know Tony Allen might be chasing around Chris Paul, but Chris Paul is not going to sure. guard Tony. I mean, it happens. I think more than you think. Uh, they'll find ways. I mean, basically, Della Vadova is a starter at point guard on defense. Giannis is a starter at point guard on offense. Um, Rashad Vaughn is just kind of the two, I guess. On for me, on both ends, like him and Delhi, You know, wh- whatever you want to designate those positions, they're basically catch and shoot is, is going to be the job. I mean, defensively. We'll Va- see how it Vaughn works will out. take the lesser and Delhi Vaughn, will take the better of whatever yeah. guard they're facing. Vaughn's going to start less than 30 games, I think. I would admit that even yeah. might be high. I mean, I, I just don't see how this really works out. 
Um, and for what it's worth, I mean, the Bucks were playing, like I said, in, in Madison this weekend, and Vaughn didn't start. They, they started uh, Toledovich. And, and that's that who I think big. they should definitely go with. Who's not like. He was just chucking, and it was great. Like, that's, what, that's exactly what they need. Yeah, no, I agree. And, I mean, he's more proven that he can help right. you from it just, the It the does make so. sense. I don't see. I, 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 the Vaughn thing never really made sense from the start. And where this is all coming from is Jason Kidd. Uh, he didn't set it in stone, you know, this is my starting five, but it, he strongly implied that Rashad Vaughn. Uh, was at least in strong consideration for the starting spot. But I think at some point it's going to have to be Toledovich. Especially with teams like this that are essentially in transition without Chris Middleton. Mm-hmm. I mean, who cares who starts on night one? By the end of the by end of the season, like you said, even if he is the day one starter, he may end up starting yeah. less than 20 games. It's, it's only teams like the Warriors or maybe somebody like the Thunder where you really take stock in mm-hmm. who's starting day one because that legitimately could be the right. best you know five they have. I mean, the Bucks are going to mix it up. They did a lot last year as well. There'll be different lineups through the first few months of the year. Michael Beasley. Could be an option at some point. He had a rough night, by the way. There was some peak bees moments, like <laughs> passing up open jumper to barrel into two defenders and draw a charge. Uh, I went down and watched warmups before the game and, and just kind of sat and watched the Bucks shoot for a while. And you know, most guys are you know catch and shoot, one dribble jumper, get to the hole. That Beasley is like, like euro step back to like <laughs> shooting with his right hand off of one foot, like just trying to shoot the ball as high as he possibly can, like things like that, and like. I mean, it was just full bees, the, the full bees experience. Um, all right, who is the best bench unit in the NBA? This is a tough one. I wrote down four different names, and you happen to write two different names on yes. top of that. I think I might go with, gosh, I guess I'll go with the Nuggets. Okay. And uh, we've talked about this many times on, on this NBA podcast network, not only you and I, but with um, Ken and Shannon is that shooting guard and small forward for the Nuggets is just so deep. And now Gary Harris is dealing with that injury, but in a normal circumstances, you'd have somebody like Will Barton and Jamal Murray coming off the bench. You'd also have somebody like Wilson Chandler coming off the bench. Oh, yeah, Kenneth Fareed um, coming off the bench as well if you start Jokic and Nurkic together. Hey, either way, it's like if it's Fareed, that, that's great. If, right. it's, if it's Nurkic coming off the bench, that's probably even better. So the funny thing here is that you know, you you can take their their five starters and their five bench players, and I'm not so certain there's like a terrible mm-hmm. much di- like there's terribly much difference in those two teams. So for that reason, I'm going to say they have the best bench. That doesn't necessarily help them win games at all. It just means they're probably too deep at each position. They need yeah. to solidify a couple positions. Yeah, that's kind of the problem, and that was you know the issue that we've harped on with Denver is they they go ten deep with really good players or pretty good players. They don't really have any all star caliber players, and you can you can in some ways say the same thing about Boston. Um, I think the addition of Horford changes that, and uh, you know with as well as as Isaiah Thomas has played, um, you know he's worked his way into the all star conversation as well. So, I mean Boston is another team on your list. I think they're an obvious one. Um, I like Utah. I think once fully healthy, um, you know, Gordon Hayward now going to miss several weeks to begin the season, but, um, you know, it's not like he's going to miss the whole year. He'll be back. Uh, and once he's back, I mean, you got a high upside point guard in Dante Exum, who, you know, for most teams who you know, were drafting that high just a couple of years ago to get him, you know, he's probably starting. You have Alec Burks, who you got almost nothing out of last year. Bring in Joe Johnson, you know, one of the less lesser talked about, I guess, additions. Uh, this offseason but I, I think you know he was really good in that in his role for Miami last season you can't ask him to be you know Joe Johnson number one or number two option offensively but I think he's going to be perfect for this bench unit Joe Ingles is a guy that a lot of people like um, and then obviously Rodney Hood he's kind of the biggest one and we we were talking before the podcast that 
Well, it's, it's never good. Or Go ahead. Well, I think Rodney Hood is going to start, right? So you have to assume uh, that yeah, Hood, probably. Brooks, or Johnson's going to start. Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. No, Hood will, Hood will start at the two. That's right. So, I mean, I guess Burks and Johnson are in the conversation here. But, you know, to start the year, one of those two is probably going to be filling in. I think they, they probably move Hood up to small forward. Maybe maybe Burks goes in at shooting guard. Um, and then you got Trey Lyles, Boris Diaw, Joe Ballenboy, who, who I like a lot as a prospect in the front court. Um, I mean, if anything, this, this team might be a little too deep, but I think there's there's still a clear enough separation, unlike in Denver. I think they're the perfect amount of deep, and in, in that, yeah, you know, they, they can spread it out. And they, the, the, you know, when you're talking about these guys, you're essentially going down the list from point guard to yeah. center. You're not like with uh, with Denver, you're you're really focusing on right. two positions and then listing out five names. With the Jazz, it's spread out pretty well, and so I, I like it a lot, Nick. I think Alec Burks has, you know. Because of injuries and just because of the way you know the Jazz have shaped up over the last couple of years, I think he's your prototypical six man. I think yeah. he comes off the bench under all situations because that's where they want him long term. And Joe Johnson maybe slots in to mm-hmm. start, but obviously I just don't know how Burks and Johnson are going to coexist because they can both handle the ball. They probably both should be handling the ball a little bit in the, at this point and. Eh. their respective careers but I, I agree with you the Jazz have one of the better benches in the league for sure yeah, yeah I mean the only the ones I'm worried about I guess are, are Exum and Burks just those are the two guys that I think could start for a lot of teams and, and you know but mostly based on upside for Exum obviously um but you know like, I think they have a nice mix of young guys like that and then veterans like Boris Diaw and Joe Johnson who you know with Denver you have like six youngish players who you you're trying to develop all six of these guys at once but you can't play them all enough to really develop them here. Like, I mean, there's going to be nice when Boris Diaw probably only plays, you know, 12 minutes or Joe Johnson only plays 13 minutes. And, you know, you don't look at that as a missed opportunity to develop these guys. Um, so I think they just have a healthy, a healthy mix of guys all at different stages and kind of the right stages of their career. Uh, the other team I wanted to touch on quickly is Portland. Uh, I think they they're deep all over. Point guard to me is where you maybe get a little shallow. I mean, the only other true point guard on the roster is Shabazz Napier. I kind of I would like to see Portland hold on to Tim Frazier last year and D League stuff. You know, kind of got complicated. I would say that about a lot of teams. I mean, he's a, he's been a journeyman, and I think he's, he's helped out quite a bit. Yeah, but, he's gonna. Know, I think he's gonna. Reason, he, like he falls into the same categories like Ish Smith, and right? For whatever reason, just it just can't stay with franchises. Yeah, I, I think he's not. He's not in the worst spot really with with the Pelicans right now with with all that's going on with Drew Holiday. Um, but you know, you have, I mean, McCollum can play up, can play on the ball when you need, and he, I mean, he's good enough. It, it, you really don't need to worry too much about it. And even Evan Turner, which people are, you know, mixed reviews, I guess, on how you feel about Evan Turner playing point guard. But if you look elsewhere on this roster, like Alan Crabb is a starter for half the teams in the league. He's your sixth or seventh man. Al, you know, Evan Turner is probably going to be coming off the bench. I would imagine. And I mean, he can play three positions, can defend two and a half positions, um and then they, I mean they basically brought everyone back and then added more depth. I mean you bring back Amini, you bring back Crab, you bring back Harkless, Myers Leonard who was out for a lot of the end of the year. Ed Davis is still there. I mean the front court is really really deep. I mean Ed Davis is your third big man really at both positions. Yeah, no, I like it. You're right. I I overlooked them for whatever reason. I don't mind Evan Turner playing point guard, um, backup point guard that is like as your sixth man off the bench, or I guess it'd be you know six seven doesn't matter playing alongside Crab. Uh, syncing up with somebody like Myers Leonard because it's a change of pace away from the way that Lillard plays. You're not really expecting Turner to do, you know, that pull up and shoot as much as maybe he'll drive and kick it to somebody like Crab or mm-hmm. even these big guys that you mentioned. A lot of these big guys can shoot threes, which really helps. Um, so, you know, you don't have to have a prototypical point guard playing point guard. I think a, a change of pace with Evan Turner will work just fine. So, while Napier could get a little run at point guard, I 
I think they even came out and said earlier in the preseason, Nick, that Evan Turner is essentially going to be the number two point guard for this team. And I, mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine with that, even though most people look down on Evan Turner. But again, if you're slotting somebody like him in a sixth, seventh man role, that's right about where his potential and where his ability should lie. And so mm-hmm. I, I agree with you saying that they do have one of the better benches. Yeah, yeah this is this is just a really well-rounded team. And, you know, I, I do wish they had... You know, another like if Nick Batum was still on this team instead of like Harkless, and I like Harkless, I think he's really good. And Aminu was really good in the playoffs, too. I mean, like this wing rotation solid, but I think if they had just one more, like slightly higher caliber player, uh, this would be a really, really, really intriguing team. All right, let's flip this worst bench in the league. You're going with the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, let's look at the names, okay? Let's not look at the pedigree. Let's not look at how these old guys yeah, have what? come in and insert. Okay, let's just look at the names, all right? I'm looking at them. Kay Felder. Unproven rookie, didn't even think he was going to make a roster, but he's kind of backed his way into it. I mean, he's a shooter with bad defense. What? Okay, I mean, he's he's a bad defender because he's five nine. That's it. Okay, he's well, not just, I mean, this guy. I think I'm not trying to contradict well, you already, but I mean, this yes, guy was making the roster. Like he was a big, impossible first round pick. I. Okay, well, here's the thing. I mean, Isaiah Thomas has been proven, proven, proven that he's a legitimate point guard in the league, but he still gets passed around. Right. Kay Felder is of the same stature. Nobody knows him, and he just – the way people view point guards who are su- are super short point guards in this league is – I mean, it's – I'm not out of the box in thinking that he's going to have trouble being an NBA player. I, I mean, I guess just based on the hype. But I mean, th- I mean, people knew about this guy. He was like one of the – maybe probably the best mid-major player in college basketball the last two years. I mean, big, big-time numbers. Big score, yeah. No, I, I know I know it all. But, I mean, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a rookie, a later first-round or second-round rookie – uh, Dunleavy, we don't even know if he can really play that well. He hasn't come back off of those. Is it back injury? I mean, that's pretty serious. Yeah. Richard Jefferson, Channing Fry, and Chris Anderson. I mean, that's your bench, man. Yeah, that does worry me. Uh, that's your the bench. Dunleavy addition, pe- people are talking like that's going to be. I just don't see that being that big of a difference maker. Although, I mean, his game has aged really well, than, as expected. I mean, not a guy who relies really on athleticism all that all, all that much. Um, if they don't get J.R. Smith back, and I, I, they will at some point. I mean, J.R.'s not going to sit out the season, but. Until then, it, this this bench does look pretty rough. I mean, Shumpert was really, really bad toward the end of last season, and I think ideally he's not your starting shooting guard. A huge drop off, you know, in shooting itself uh, at the position, and you know, defensively he gives you a little bit more than Jr. But I think what you're losing on offense is, is much bigger. Um, and Richard Jefferson was really good last year. I just, you know, like what, he's not going to get any better. You know, I just think he kind of played over his head for a lot of last season, especially at the end. Channing Fry as well, who's actually leading the NBA preseason in PER. Uh, I think he's at like 57 or something like that. Well, you know, these guys are good because they're slotted into the starting lineup or they play with the five starter or, you know, four or five stars at different points. And so it makes it seem like they're playing really well. But if we have a rookie in Kay Felder, who's 5'8", like you said, and then we have the other four guys I mentioned, 36-year-old, 36-year-old, 33, and 38. I mean, if you look at it like a true second team, like all the the starters are resting, that is a terrible, terrible team, and you have to have at least Irving, at least James, or at least Love on the court at all times to have some sort of saving grace with those mix of players that we're talking about, the B-Squad. Right, Well, and playing alongside... LeBron, I think, helps. I mean, we've seen him prolong a lot of players' careers. And I think, you know, Channing Fry, who's – I think people think Channing Fry is older than he is. He's really not that old. But, 33. I mean, he's in, he's in like, an ideal role. I mean, he, he went from, you know, just, just kind of a, a nominal bench player in, in Orlando to, all right, all you have to do is just kind of stand here and catch and shoot when LeBron passes to you. And, in, you know, in a lot of ways, I think that that's kind of helped him at this stage. Um, so who do you have? 
I have the Clippers. Okay. This is a team that, you know, is a top three or four in terms of starting lineup talent. So, and that's how this works a lot of the time. You know, if you're spending 90% of your salary on your starting five, your bench is just going to suck. And that's kind of how it works. But they, I mean, they didn't really make any improvements to this bench at all. Um, you know, at Spates, for the minimum, I guess, is fine. You know, not a guy you want to pay up for. He's he's a rotational player. But this is the same bench as last year. Jamal Crawford's another year older. I mean, his game hasn't really aged to his credit. But, I mean, at some point, it's going to Raymond Felton. I, I guess that's your biggest offseason addition was Raymond Felton. He had a solid year for Dallas, shockingly. It's, you know, it's just hard to see him really being a difference maker. I mean, the best player on this bench is probably Austin Rivers, right? yeah probably so that, i mean that's kind of my argument well what's funny is it just been rotating those small forwards and doesn't it's in a lot of cases are saying well it depends on who starts and then we can say their bench is this good it doesn't matter who they start at small forward because they're all just a jumble and doesn't really matter raymond felton started in preseason game on wednesday and doc rivers was legitimately trying to see if he could play he's only 6-1 had a good outing i just don't think that's sustainable if you want to go small i get it um, but that just shows you how bad they are at small forward and how bad they've been over the last couple of years is they're legitimately considering Raymond Felton at small forward. So I agree with you, Nick. Austin Rivers is your only guy. Um, but, I, I mean, I guess everybody looks at Jamal Crawford and they say, you know, if you have one really, really good guy that can go out there and score you some points and you piece together a couple of other guys that can hold their own on defense, and that's all you're really looking for in a second-team defense, especially when the overwhelming bulk of your money is in four guys, essentially. Well, I guess three now after this year, J.J. Redick will be on a new contract. But, okay. I mean, you have, I mean, if you look at how much money is being spent, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense that, you know, they're heavy-loaded, top-loaded. Okay, let's go, let's go a little quicker on some of these um, less serious ones. Uh, this one's, I guess, is still fairly serious. But who's we're talking about benches. Who's the best individual bench player in the league? Uh, Brandon Knight, I think, is the lead candidate. Somebody who could start, we thought would start, but it seems like he's maybe gonna start. he's going to come off the bench, of course, and he's accepting that role. Earl Watson called him uh, maybe the best six-man ever. Okay. So, All right. But there, there you have it. Well, at least you had Brandon Knight has come out and said Earl Watson handled it like uh, like a man, and he really appreciated the way he had moved or moved Knight down. So at least it sounds like it's going to work. Alec Burks, somebody we've already mentioned that if he stays healthy, I mean, he is really good and he he's starter type potential. But generally, his type of play mm-hmm. is six man role. Those would be my first two candidates. Who are you looking at though? Knight was on my list as well. Uh, I think Iguodala, Will Barton, uh, and Ennis Cantor. I think you know defensively, we all know. Cantor's leaves a little bit to be desired um but I think he's really among the few truly elite paint scorers um and I think the more minutes that he sees this year more people are going to catch on to that best hair in the NBA I'm gonna let you take I'm gonna let you take that one because I haven't done my research okay. yet um, that's fair I'll let you um, take these next two well it's just sad because I, I was always a big fan of the cornrows look um I've never personally had cornrows myself although God. you've wanted to I have wanted to, tried and failed, kind of. Um, but to me, it's a rookie. It's DeAndre Bembry. Um, we have, really haven't seen an Afro like this in a while. Um, you know, unfortunately, Basketball Reference, in, its, in all of its greatness, doesn't have like a, an index where you can look up players by hairstyle. Um, so, you know, hint, hint, maybe that's something you should look into, Basketball Reference. But and we haven't seen an Afro like this since probably Ben Wallace. Uh, it really harkens back to Josh Childress. And oh, yeah. you know, good, an unbelievable head of pull. hair. Um and yeah, I mean DeAndre Bembry, you know, kind of a throwback player in the way that he plays and, and, and the way that he looks as well. I mean, 
you could kind of throw him into a, one of those ABA jerseys and wouldn't really, wouldn't really stand out all that much. Worst hair in the league. Luke Babbitt. I, I agree with you. Like I said, I haven't done my research like I usually do, but his hair always seems to be a little greasy. Like maybe he needs a little shampoo. Just it's just, that up it's, there. just an, it's a tough length. Um, okay. Yeah, it's not a great look, you know. Uh, there's not too much to really say about it. Uh, I'm sure he's well aware. Um, you know who the consensus pick would be? Who? I think most people would say Jeremy Lin, but I actually kind of like what he's doing. Yeah, I like it too. He uh, he was on one. I think he was on Woj's podcast a while back and talked about, or maybe yep. it was Reddick, one of those, one of the vertical pods, and he had talked about just like the options are so much better now in Brooklyn. Like he can find people to to do whatever he wants, you know, as far as braids and weaves and, and all that so it was reddick's pod and he actually yeah. had a pact with his friends to grow it out and they wanted to right. try different hairstyles if you're gonna try new stuff like i i mean you only live once you gotta do it big and I, I don't mind it at all i think it looks i think it looks all right yeah i think it's a good look um all right player most likely to have a big year on a bad team and speaking of Jeremy Lin. Jeremy Lin. I think right. I don't really need any explanation here. Nope. He's going to be given the ball, and he can do they're not, whatever They're he not going to average 40 points a game as a team. I mean, somebody's going to have to do the scoring. Yep, that's all I all really right. need to say. What about you? Is there any chance, I don't know if I talked about this with you or James, but any chance he sneaks into the All-Star game playing in Brooklyn on the fan vote? Like if he if he has like a couple big games and like kind of gets back into the national spotlight, like it's not that's not out of the cards. No, not at all. I mean, he could average 17 points per game and six, seven assists, and that would put him in the picture in terms of like the Isaiah Thomas range of last year. Let's not forget that he almost made the All Star game back when we were in Lynn Sanity, right? Right. That hit right before the All Star game. If I mean, if, if, if the Knicks fans can almost get Przingis in last year, and if Zaza Pachulia can almost get in, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, for me, Jabari Parker. Um, I, I like Giannis. I, I think he probably has a fairly big year as well, but I think the expectations are maybe too high for him. The Bucks are not going to be a good team. I think Jabari is going to be more aggressive this year. I think the, at the end of the year, the numbers are going to look pretty good. Uh, I don't know how much he's going to do you know, individually to help this team win games, but uh, he's the guy for me. And I think Serge Ibaka, too. I think the Magic are going to be a mess. Um, but I mean, I'm mean, very interested to see how he works outside of OKC, You know, not playing with Durant or Westbrook for the first time really uh, in his career. And, you know, I think he brings a completely different dynamic than Vucevic. He's a much better offensive player than Bayambo. And to me, he's easily the most versatile and the best two-way player of those three guys by, by a pretty wide margin. If you can guarantee me that he's going to see 30 minutes a game, then I'll agree with you. I think you. he will. And I just don't know if that's the case. Jeff Green, Aaron Garden, Biombo, Jeff and Green. Nick Vucevic. I mean, yeah, that's, that's a it's lot a weird... to work around. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird construction when you know six of your like best eight players are basically power forwards. Um, all right, player you trust the most to get you a basket at the end of a game? I'm going with Carmelo Anthony. I don't really he's not one of my favorite players to watch, but I mean if you just need one basket, I think he can get it done for yeah. you in a couple of different ways. Uh, he just goes into killer mode, and I think he can get it done for me. If I okay. you know if, if my life was on the line, I would I would might I might look towards Carmelo Anthony. I'm going Harden. Um, I think I think do free th- do like drawing yeah. a foul and no, free those that, that, That's okay. exactly what I was gonna say. Is I think Harden is the best at if he's not gonna get a shot, he's gonna get fouled. He's he's the he's the best at combining his ability, I guess, to shoot uh, to, and to get to the rim. Uh, like Curry, obviously, if you if you need someone to like take a pull up three, you want him. But I think Harden is a, a very adequate pull up shooter. He's also a very adequate driver. Um, and if you really want to take another step, you know, I think the defense collapses on him more than anybody in the league and he's gotten so good at kicking it out too. So even if he's not the one shooting it, 
he's he's the guy that I would want creating a look for me uh, at the end of a game. Best ball handler in the league. Chris Paul, I'm mm-hmm. going to give it to him. He has lots of years. It's proven done. Kyrie. Although, yeah, you've got Kyrie, too. I think those are the, the two Is obvious. Is there anyone else besides these two and Curry that's in this discussion? That, that's almost my yeah. – that's what I'm more anxious to find out. Rondo? I was going to say Rondo. What do you think about Rubio? Nah. Not too much. Rubio doesn't have, like, the back-and-forth game that Paul and Irving do. Like, you never, you never see Rubio, right. like, cross someone up and hit a jumper. You know, like, he – he, he's in the best passer discussion. I don't know if he's in the best ball handler discussion. Well, it's tough because when you throw the jumper in there, then all the discussion goes out the window with Rubio. But in terms of taking control over the ball, I don't know. It's it's Paul still, and Irving, never, and like, I think you never see him like John crossing. Wall. I think might be the other guy that I would toss in there. Yeah, he's the be- he's the best full court ball handler. Yeah, if you need someone to get like go like rim to rim with the ball, and then part of that is just how ridiculously freaking fast he is. Uh, all right. So similar question to to the Harden one or to the uh, the mellow slash Harden one, I should say. Uh, you need one guy to hit a catch and shoot three. So someone's whether they're on the wing, whether in the corner, top of the key, wherever, catch and shoot to win you a game. And it, we'll, we'll say it's a pretty open look. Damian Lillard. Lillard. Okay. Yeah. I'm going Clay. Clay Thompson. I think we're picking like two of the better options. Like we're not off the board. Yeah. On these. I mean Lillard to me, like I picture him, you know, coming off a screen like he. He's just like Curry light to me in a lot of ways. Like they play such a similar game. It's kind of ridiculous. And uh, I mean, Curry's not quite, or Lillard isn't quite the playmaker, quite the passer. I don't think that Curry is. Um, but in the way that they, sh- that they shoot and, you know, where their shots come from, it is very similar. Uh, but no, I mean, you, you really can't argue with that. He pulls up a lot too. Like yeah. he'll just be casually yeah, dripping the, the ball like he, and then he'll pull up way too deep right. and then just drain it. Just like, like yeah, Curry. to me, he's more of a pull-up shooter, not a catch-and-shoot guy. But I mean, obviously he's on the very short list of guys you would want shooting that. Um all right, the team that you're looking at going into this season and you're the most unsure of. So whether you think they're good or bad, like you just you just don't know where to peg them. Uh the Dallas Mavericks for me, um I think, you know, it's good buddy, Rotowire's own James Anderson always comes back to you got to put the you got to put the faith in Rick Carlisle. And I think that's what I often fail to do and I count Dallas out for the playoffs and then halfway through the year I'm like, "Oh yeah, Rick Carlisle." That's right. right. So I, I, I'm doubting Dallas this year. I'm thinking maybe a team, you know, like like Minnesota could sneak in over them and finally bump them out of the playoffs. But uh, I don't know. I, I think they could also be good this year. I don't know what to think of them. So, yeah, Dallas is definitely the answer to this question for me. What about you? Um, you know, Dallas, I think Carlisle is kind of the, the tiebreaker for me, I guess. You know, that, that makes them a little bit more stable. Um, like their, their, their ceiling isn't all that high, but I think their floor is really high with Carlisle. Um, you know, like you know, they're not just going to implode and be like a bottom three team. You know, even though talent wise, like it's not all that high, uh, but just the coaching and the experience that they have, I think you know, kind of keeps them in that middle tier no matter what. But the team I'm most unsure of in, in the West, at least, it's OKC. Um, we still haven't seen Westbrook kind of operate like this over a prolonged, prolonged period. And then when he did it for half a season, you know, it wasn't enough to even get him into the playoffs. So I'm concerned about that. Um, we, re- I mean, we haven't seen him work extensively alongside Oladipo. I think had they just lost Durant, like that's a big enough hit. But then you also lose Ibaka as well. So you're completely changing your style of play. You're losing your second and third option, uh, or I guess your first and third option. Uh, so I think they just have a lot of questions to answer. That bench is, is very, very questionable, especially with campaign down right now. Uh, and then the team in the East is Charlotte. Kemba Walker had a career year last year. It's, I mean, still wasn't a transcendent year by any means. Wasn't even an all-star. I have questions about whether he can do that again. You're reintroducing Michael Kidd-Gilchrist into this team. You get rid of Al Jefferson, who 
you know, has his faults certainly, but it was still a guy you could dump it down to for baskets last year. So, um, yeah, those, those are my two. Yeah, no bones right. to pick there. I agree. How about an average or you know bad team that you think actually does have deep down a high ceiling? The Mavs, uh, for the reasons I just said and you discussed, if they were the fourth seed in the West, I wouldn't be surprised. If they didn't make the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised. So there's a lot of leeway here for me. Um, they'll probably just slot into you know that six seven seed they've been you know more often than not over the last five six seven years. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna go Dallas and. I don't feel like I'm going to waver from that at all. I guess you have Denver here, and I completely agree. A lot of young pieces, yep. but again, you don't know how they're going to work them together. Yeah, and it, this this one is tough because obviously the teams that you view as as having a high ceiling, you know, it, it's tough to say any of those are bad teams. And Denver won, won 33 games last year, but you know, you look at the same team; they finished you know right same record as Sacramento, New Orleans, Minnesota. Um, you know, I think Minnesota just based on. The, the progression that we're expecting and the coaching change like they're 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 off the board here they're not a bad team um i guess phoenix is kind of one you could argue uh, similar construction in some ways to denver uh, a lot of depth uh, but also so many unknowns i mean like if marquise chris and dragon bender are really good all of a sudden this team you know could contend for a playoff spot but i don't think either of those guys are really close enough especially chris uh to, to make much of an impact this year um, all right, so the converse of this one, what about an average team or a good team that you think actually has a very low floor? Uh, Houston Rockets, and I've yes. basically been pegging them as the number four seed in the West for me. I've even put some money down on that guess or that projection. Fully willing to admit that a D'Antoni offense um, with this particular group of guys could fail, could fail hard, just like they did last year. I mean, if they run things back, it's going to be um, – you know, falling way short of expectations, at least mine. I think everybody nationally is pegging them down a few notches because we were picking them to be a, a championship contender last year. They're not this year, but I still think they could be one of the better teams in the West. If they're not and they don't make the playoffs, I should not be surprised for obvious reasons. Yeah, no, I think that's certainly fair. For me, it's OKC. Um, you know, they're one Westbrook injury away from being like a solid, yeah. definite non-playoff team. Yeah. And that's, you know, you, you hate to base these things off of injuries, but with the way he plays, I, I just I just don't know how he's going to do this for 82 games. So, um, you know, I don't know that the OKC ceiling is all that high, even if even if Westbrook like has the year of all years. Like I just they're not better than to me. They're not better than the Clippers. They're not going to be better than the Spurs and, you know, still nowhere near the Warriors. So, you know, the ceiling is relatively low and the floor could be low if, you know, injuries break the wrong way. Uh, let's see. A star who's most likely to be traded at some point during the season. I have Ricky Rubio. I know he's only 25 years old, and in theory he should, didn't fit, he should fit in with this young core as they grow together. That said, Chris Dunn could steal the job away from him. Somebody like Tyus Jones is a, could be a solid backup point guard in this league. On top of that, you have Zach Levine, who played point guard at points last year. So with those three guys, I feel confident moving forward with the collection of people they have now without Rubio. And I think there's still a lot of value on the market for Rubio. So I think this is potentially a deal that could get done before the trade deadline. Yeah, I think... Uh... I'm down on Ruby. I don't even consider him a star, to be honest. Um, but I think I think it's the right move to trade him. They should have traded him around the draft, and you know the Levine stuff. I think kind of complicated that. But uh, regardless, he's he's going to be gone at some point. I you, you just no matter what they say, you can't play Chris Dunn and, and Ricky Rubio together. Uh, but for me, it's Boogie. I I I believe he's going to unite with John Wall at some point, and I have no facts or any reports or anything to base this off of. 
Um, other than these are like two mercurial guys who I think one aren't, aren't as mercurial as everybody thinks they are. I think they just kind of get slapped with that label, but they're friends, you know, they've obviously played together at, at Kentucky. They're both in similar situations where they just have incompetent leadership and incompetent teammates. And I think are close to reaching the breaking point, uh, with their respective franchises. So I don't know. I mean, uh, whether, you know, wall goes to Sacramento or boogie goes to Washington, that, that would be really fun. I don't think either team really has the pieces to complete a deal like that. Um, although, I mean, you really have to leverage some picks, but, uh, I think boogie cousins gets dealt at one, at one point because it's going to be, an, it's going to be the same iteration of the Kings as it's been the last five years. They're going to start out slow. There's going to be frustrations, um, and I think this is finally the year they make a move. Yeah, people are probably screaming into their, you know, radio or whatever you're listening to us on <laughs> and saying, you know, somebody in the Philadelphia 76ers front court. And it's like, yeah, this we said stars, not quite good players or good young players. Yeah, but, I mean, obviously out. I think you got to pick one of those guys or at least all those guys yeah. and say they're the most likely. Mm-hmm. But in terms of star caliber, I'm, I'm going to definitely go with the guys that we mentioned. The other one to watch for me is Millsap, too. I think, you know, if Atlanta starts slowly or they're – their ceiling is so low to me anyway like this isn't going to be a a title contender like you don't you don't swap Horford for Dwight and Teague for Schroeder and get that much better um you know I think at best they probably win close to 48 games like they did last year um but I mean they tried to move Millsap or after the draft they tried to move him you know around the start of free agency didn't really get any bites that they liked um but if you talk about a guy that you know if you're a team like I don't know I'm just throwing the Clippers or something the Blazers you know some team like that that's kind of borderline like we're not quite ready to jump into this elite tier, but you get to the deadline and, you know, you can add a guy like Millsap who, like the way he plays, I think he'd just be such a seamless addition, like a, just a win now addition to just about any team. Um, yeah, I don't think that's off the table because eventually Atlanta has to hit the reset button on this. Yeah, no, I agree. We're going to talk to Kale Shinard tomorrow and, and right. that'll be on tomorrow's podcast. And nice little teaser. We'll, yeah, we'll certainly want to talk to him about Paul Millsap. Mm-hmm. And I agree, one of the more underrated players in the league he could make he could push a team over the top. He is very, very yes, good. Exactly. And and on what is right now an affordable deal that I believe is up after next season. So you're not getting, you know, you're not having this huge investment. Um actually I, th- I think Millsap can opt out after this year. Yeah, I think um, he's got a player option. I'll look that up which right he, now. He would you would think decline. Um even it's it's a it's a hefty player option, but you would still think he'd he'd gone for the longer term deal, you know, while he's still a year younger. So yeah, it could be a dump situation where you're just you know you're just renting him for a couple months. Um, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Uh, Paul Millsap, yes, player option next okay. year, making twenty one million dollars. Yeah, he could make more down. than that. He's going to turn it down, whether he returns to Atlanta or not. Right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it could be a trade that benefits both sides long term. Most untouchable player in the league, and this is to me, this isn't the same as the you know player you'd start a franchise around or who's the best player. This is the the player that if you call and request a trade, you know, you say, um, David Griffin, we want to, we want to talk, we want to talk shop. What, what can we get for LeBron James? And the GM just slams the phone down. So obviously to me, it's LeBron. Okay. Yeah. I took it a you little can't bit. trade LeBron James. Yeah. I, okay. I took it a little bit different and said, this is basically the same question as player to start a franchise. And so I said, big cat, but I'll agree with you under that context. It is definitely LeBron James. You're right. Because over the next six years, he gives you the best potential to win. Uh, the most championships than anybody else in the league. So for that reason, I agree with you. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of players on this list. Like, what would you? What could you give up for Kevin Durant or Steph Curry? You know, yeah. like it's just you. It's inconceivable almost. And you're, players of that caliber, it's so rare that they get traded. I mean, who's who's been the biggest star that's been dealt? In, like in a legit trade situation. Carmelo like this, Anthony yeah, a few Mello years is the ago. One I'm thinking of as well. 
Chris Paul should have. Yeah, I mean that was technically a trade. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's he's probably the one. Melo and Paul, yeah. Um, it's it's still fair. I mean, when players reach that level, you know, when you're a top five, top ten player, like it's just rare to get traded. Um, this reminds me. This is somewhat off topic, but I read um, Michael Jordan uh, or Sam Smith's book on Michael Jordan, the Jordan Rules, and um, wait, no, sorry, it was the wrong book. This was the the NBA draft book by uh, Abrams, I believe, the Preps to Pros. He he mentioned that uh, this kind of LeBron kind of reminded me of this. The Bulls at one point wanted to trade um, Scottie Pippen to the Raptors in '97. So this is you know prior to the draft in '97 to get Tracy McGrady, and and Jordan threatened to retire if the if the deal went through. Wow. Yeah, the book's called Boys Among Men by Jonathan Abrams. So oh, I completely okay. butchered that. Um, I was gonna say, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean, like, I just love reading stuff like that. I mean, it obviously doesn't have mm-hmm. a whole lot to do with our discussion right now, but you, know, I always do wonder, like, how many of these guys, you know, like, how close have they been to being dealt and nobody's ever heard about it? Yeah, I know. See, my main focus has been over the last 10, 15 years, and I guess it's, you know, that's right on the edge. And so I'm excited for those type of books to come out over the next 15 mm-hmm. to 20 years. But I agree. I mean, it's I'm trying to think of a comparison of that, and it'd be like, essentially it'd be like if KD and Russ got along and they were trying to trade one of them a few years ago, that'd be like the yeah, type of thing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and yeah, this is a little bit later, obviously, in the Pippen and, and, and uh, Jordan careers, but still uh, quite the... Uh, the hypothetical to think about. Um, let's see, where are we at here? Oh, okay. Celebrity you most want to see sitting courtside. And this one, I, I don't know if you, maybe I didn't make this clear enough. I meant like celebrity, celebrity, like not one player you want to watch when you're sitting courtside. I'm saying you're watching a game and you look and it's like, oh, is that is that two chains sitting courtside? Yeah, pre-pod, I read that question and must have done a little... Um... Yeah. I don't know, like hoping and wishing. I saw you wrote down, like, what, Walter Taveras? <laughs> like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Some sort of, like, soap opera I actor? Put, no, I put Eddie Taveras, yeah, yeah who played backup, right. backup to the backup like, center. Right, like, he's, he's seven foot three. I thought player that I'd want to watch courtside just because he's no, so big. No, no, I'm saying, like, you know, like, a lot of these teams now have, like, signature fans. You know, like, basically yeah. I'm saying, like, who would you want to see become, like, the Drake of, you know, the Hornets or something like that? Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, two chains is mine, but he, he's already he's courtside all the time. All star game, Hawks. Uh, I mean, what about Ken Bone? Who from the, from the debate? Did you not watch any of the debate last night? No, I was Have camping you not been on the internet today. Okay, I guess if you were camping, like that's was, like, that's like the I, one excuse. I literally had no internet for the last like okay. when I pulled up to the office today was the first time I had internet in the last forty eight okay. hours. So uh, no, I did not watch okay. the debate. All right, well we'll just we'll just skip on this one then. Okay, I'll let, I'll let you. We'll I'll stick this. with Eddie Tavares. Yeah, I guess like <laughs> worst answer of all time. All right, deal. Um, player most likely to be an NFL Pro Bowler. Uh, LeBron James, tight end, could have happened. Okay. Could have happened. J.R. Smith claims uh, that he was All-State. I've heard, I've read somewhere, was it credible? I don't know, but I do remember reading somewhere that he, he, had, a, he had an offer to go to Clemson and play, play receiver and cornerback, which as like at 6'6", he would be like the biggest cornerback in the history of football, but if anybody could do it. I it like it. I like to dream about My that. My answer, though, is, is uh, Eric Bledsoe. What I mean, position? I Eric, cornerback? Running, running back, receiver. Uh, probably, probably those two. I don't know. I mean, you could, you could be like anything really <laughs> free safety. I mean, he's short in the NFL, but he would be, you know, at six, two, six, three, right. he'd be like a big, big physical receiver. He's super fast. He's strong. He'd be considered a big running back actually. Right. I so. think he could be like a DeMarco Murray type of guy. Wow. 
All right, I like it. Yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get the chance to, to see that happen. No. But, um, okay, best uniforms in the league. I'm very interested to see your answer on this. Well, I like black uniforms, and so the Blazers really jump out to me, of course. Yep. Uh, the Nets are coming out with like some cool neutral color, like you know your grays, your whites, your blacks. So those like ode to the throwback Nets jerseys are my hottest jerseys in the league right now. I like them a whole mm-hmm. lot. So nice. Um, worst in the league. There's a lot to choose from. I, I might go with the Hawks. We're going to talk about this with KL tomorrow on the pod as well, about the new hot, or the new uniforms and how they've been received in Atlanta. I like what they're doing, and they're trying to do something new, but the re- end result for me didn't really pan out. So I'll go with the Hawks. I love the Hawks, actually. They're really? not number one. I mean, the Blazers are kind of the forever number one in my heart. Um, so that's gonna, it's going to be tough to knock them off. Although I think they're coming out with a new design next year. I I have a hard time believing they're going to switch up from you know the traditional look, but they're gonna they're gonna tweak it at least. Uh, so says the team. But for me, it's the magic. Uh, the sleeve jerseys are horrific. The I like that they tried to reincorporate the pinstripes, but they did it in a way that they look like they look like they should be doing like gymnastics. Like it, it's like a half leotard type of look. Uh, just just not good overall. Um, so yeah, the magic are, are the worst. Detroit also in the running. Just just spice it up a little bit. Yeah, I guess Detroit um, would be the one for me, too, that I, I'm not too into it. I, th- I think the Hawks stand out for me more so than everybody. I'm taking – you care about jerseys way more than I do, yes, so I do. this is a harder question for me than it is for you. You're ready. You're locked and loaded. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going yeah, to go stick with my answer okay. and say the, the new Hawks, although excluding the black ones. Of course I like okay. the black ones. I just – I wish every team had a third alternate or fourth alternate that was black. Mm-hmm. I, I love them. I love them all. Okay, just a couple more. Uh, we got to wrap this up. Who's your favorite player to watch? Just pure entertainment in the league. Uh, probably Russell. I mean, he just doesn't care. He's so fun to watch. Okay, fair enough. Uh, for me, it's, it's either Chris Paul or John Wall. Really? Uh, okay. I'm leaning toward Wall. I mean, LeBron is kind of LeBron's my favorite player to watch, but that's that's too chalky of an answer. Uh, I mean, Westbrook's obviously up there as well, but I love watching point guards. I don't know, especially. As someone who's a big fan of dribbling in general, uh, both of these guys are usually good for you know some some moves that you don't see out of other players. I mean, Kyrie you can throw in there too, um, but yeah, Wall and Wall and Paul are my two. Uh, let's see, NBA player who you want to have his own podcast, Jared Jack. I want a journeyman who's been at a lot of different destinations, knows a lot of GMs, a lot of teammates, but is outspoken. When Jeremy Lin got that big deal, he took to Twitter right away and was just like, ha, 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 ha. And so you know he's going to come out and, and say the stuff that keep you— Keep it real? Yeah, keep it real. So I'll go Jared Jack. And I feel okay. confident about that answer. That's, that's the most confident answer I've given all pod long. Yeah, that was one that I didn't necessarily expect, but all right. Um, you? What about you? Hassan Whiteside. I think that would just be— it has to be like unscripted, unstructured. Just I just want us on wide side, like someone to say, like you have to sit here and talk into this microphone about whatever you want for one hour every week. And I just don't see how that could end badly at all. And the other one is Kawhi. And I don't, maybe it would be the worst podcast of all time, but I feel like people want to hear from somebody who they never hear from, and it would be it would obviously be very uncharacteristic and like he would never ever do it. But it would be wouldn't it be cool if like the the NBA's like silent assassin just had his own podcast and like addressed all these things you know that that people say about him and he you know he never responds to anything great nba player but i've seen him do some publicity stuff and i'm not sure that i want to he's good in the the commercials those heb ads yeah when you get lots of takes to do them over and over and over 
I yeah. His interviews have been one of the least entertaining interviews I've seen from you mm-hmm. know this crop of NBA players right now. But I see what you're saying. The angle you're coming from is you know if he wanted to talk and he could talk, yeah. maybe he would liven up and and yeah, know. that's what I'm saying. Like I think it would it was like I want him to have a platform to like express himself comfortably. That seems I don't like an think oxymoron. It would be a very good one, right? It's, but, it's uh, an oxymoron. Um. Okay. Player you most want to party with? Steven Adams. Swaggy P. This was easy. I mean, that that guy just. I think we would see eye to eye. This, <laughs> you know, I love I love driving fancy five hundred thousand dollar foreign cars and living in mansions. You know, we're just we're so similar. I yeah. This is the question that we literally do ask each other mm-hmm. like every other day. So yeah, Steven Adams, hit right. me up, man. Tonight, Let's finish up with this one. Uh, player that everyone else seems to love, but you're just not that high on. Anthony Davis, you've already heard me talk junk about him previously on this podcast season. You're going to hear me talk more junk about him coming up this season. Get ready for it. For me, it's Brandon Ingram, um, which is probably a little bit unfair because we haven't really seen him play all that much. But I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit mild, I guess, on Brandon Ingram as as this season approaches. I think he, I think he could very well be a very good player in the NBA. Uh, I don't see that happening this year. I mean, you know, maybe we fast forward to the All Star break and he's averaging 15 points, and I look stupid, but not that high in Ingram. Uh, the other guy is Marcus Smart. Like, I everybody wants Marcus Smart on their team. I would want Marcus Smart on whatever you know hypothetical team I am the GM of. But I, it just hasn't been borne out in numbers at all. Like I get that you know he's one of those players whose value is, you know, is kind of inherently tied to hustle plays and, and defense, which is a little bit harder to track statistically. Um, but I mean, this, this guy shot thirty five percent from the field, twenty five percent from three, was taking more than four threes a game. Like I just I get that he has his nights and you know he's such a difference maker on D that, that that's all great, but. I mean, he was one of the worst offensive players in the league last season, probably the worst offensive player who played as many minutes as he did by a pretty good margin. Um, and, you know, he's still young. He's only going into his third year. But I thought he took a step back last season, and somehow the hype seemed to take a step forward. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There's a, People are willing to overlook, and I'll give the credit to Brad Stevens in terms of doing that and helping him be able to like seem like a better player than he is. It's interesting because Jalen Brown is, might essentially be what we think Marcus Smart is now, but he might actually be the real deal. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, in some way. I, I think Smart is more of like a, you know, a true point guard slash shooting guard, whereas you know I think Brown is probably going to be used more as a forward. Um, but I do expect kind of a similar year. Like I think Jalen Brown is going to be – He's going to have some moments where he looks really, really good. He's going to have games where he looks really good. But I think, like, I don't see him shooting 40% from the field this year. Like, the jump shot still a little bit broken. He he, can, he kind of gets a little bit ahead of himself, you know, as far as, um, you know, forcing some things. So, yeah, I, I think they could be on similar developmental paths. But, I mean, I just, I just want to see Smart shoot 40%. Like, I don't think that's too much to ask. Nope, not um, at all. And, like, I mean, there's all these things like, oh, the Celtics just won't give him up. You have to pay up to get Marcus Smart. Like, why? Why? Right. Like, why are you... Yeah, if, if Brown materializes, you're essentially going to have what you wanted out of what you were getting out of Smart, where he could guard position yeah. one through four and not, you know, like, I mean, he's not giving you anything on offense. So, what, wh- how much worse could Jalen Brown play on offense than Marcus yeah. Smart already is or isn't? So, right, exactly. And that, that's a good point. And the thing about Boston is they keep kind of stockpiling these assets and waiting, not, you know, waiting on trades. And they did land a piece in free agency in Horford, but like, they're kind of losing leverage in some ways because. You know they have so many pieces at this point that, like, yeah, obviously they're they're the team. When when someone calls them, they have the, they have the advantage as far as you know we're the one with the assets. You tell us, you know, we get to choose what we send you. 
but it's getting to the point now where like they just have almost too many assets and like if they if they don't make a deal this year you know to kind of package some of these guys you're getting another probably a top three pick in this coming draft that's completely loaded and might bring you you know the highest upside piece of all of these pieces um it's like at that point Marcus Smart becomes like your seventh best asset you know and like like his value as an asset kind of decreases just because you have so many other assets ahead of him like does that make sense like, they're almost overloaded with guys and like going to be forced to make decisions that you know they would rather kind of jack a price up on a guy well no and here's the reasons because with those picks you have to match salaries and so they do need literal I mean they need physical players to trade if they do make a big move along with those draft picks so you do need to have some actual money on the books and some physical players who's you know who right. at least have potential or other teams deem them as having potential so I get where you're coming from but I mean they do need to have depth at a couple of positions because if you're going to make the big blockbuster trade deal you're not going to like keep your six best players intact you're going to have to part with some of them so yeah. I, mean, I don't think a it's a big thing. deal that they've compiled both players and draft yeah. picks if I that's mean, what you're trying to get at I just mean like at some point you know like these you know these these players like you can't pay everybody like is your plan to pay like Jay Crowder money to like seven gotcha. different guys like it, like at some point you yeah. just kind of have to pull the trigger on something and it seems like these last two years there've been deals on the table. They've been hesitant, and to their credit, they've probably been right. You know, like in in retrospect, like not not trading for Kevin Love was probably a good move, although we don't know what Boston Kevin Love would have looked like compared to Cleveland. And you know, they they got their guy in Horford without having to give anything up. But you know, I think at some point they're just going to kind of be overloaded with assets, which I guess is a good problem to have. I mean, if you're the Nets, you're probably just looking at this like, wow. This is this is what we wish we had. Yeah, no, I think last thing I'll say before we get out of here, Nick, is that uh, I think they've had their guy in mind, and they knew when he's coming up, and I think that might be Cousins this year, and they've been planning strategically to get there. I think in whatever plan they have, they're right on track, and I don't think they're falling behind or anything because I think – you know, a couple of years ago, they looked ahead and they have a they have a date pinpointed when they're going to make a move, and all the steps they've taken up to that date are in preparation for that move that we won't know until it happens. I mean, what do you think they have like a handshake agreement? Like, no, not a handshake agreement, but they know they're going to go out there and get cousins at all costs or something like that. Yeah. Or they've got like three players in mind when they're going to become available, whether it's through trade or free agency and they're going to really attack them. I don't think that they're just going to like play the market. I don't think they've been playing the market, like almost did something and decided to pull it back. I think they've got specific dates in mind and players' names in mind, and they're going to act whenever they want to because they hold the most chips and they can do whatever they want over any other team in the NBA right now. Could Boston be a spot for John Wall? And I think I'm just maybe single-handedly driving the John Wall trade rumors because there aren't any. You love John Wall today. I've never heard this John love Wall John love Wall, for man. you I've, in the in the past, though. This I mean, I kind of fell in love with him. I think as a high school prospect. You uh, love those mixtapes. I know. Well, I mean, you go back and watch them and like re-fall in love with players too. I know that yeah, about you. Yeah, you've been looking at my browsing history, I guess. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things. Like Demar Derozan, for some reason, you know. Had a great high school mixtape, so he's just forever cemented as one of my favorite <laughs> players, like despite being like borderline unwatchable most of the time. Uh, but I mean, like, again, I don't think John Wall, like, I wouldn't bet money on John Wall getting traded. But if that situation kind of blows up and like Boston dangles, like Bradley Smart, um, you know, a future pick, they're not going to give up this coming pick, I don't think, you know, Bradley Smart, whatever, like, you know, pick your collage of assets. Mm-hmm. I mean, Boston has to think about that. Yeah. 
I'm excited. I, I think that's one of the things I'm most interested in seeing this year, like play on the court, GM moves, all that stuff, is what Boston's going to do this year. Number two, close number two would be Sixers and how they're going to handle the front mm-hmm. court and who they're going to deal and how they're going to do it. I think I'm looking at off the court being more interesting than a couple on the court issues because these things have been coming to a head over the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, the thing about Boston is like they, they're such a smart organization. I think that like they know they know what their ceiling is now. And it's like, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, we, we can keep together what we have, see what happens. Um, it's like at best, they, they somehow knock off the Cavs and lose to the Warriors. Like they, they still know, I think that they're another right. elite, elite piece from really, really contributing or competing, I should say, uh, on a year to year basis. But all right, let's wrap this up. Uh, thanks for stopping by today. We'll be back uh, with our KL talk. Probably, probably post that tomorrow. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.